keep the lights off. You can keep the lights off. Father, we come before you now and just pray that this church would always be a battleship. Lord, we need you. We need you as our guidance, as our lead. It's you, it's you we serve. And so, Father, I pray right now that you'd bless this word. May it be your word. May your presence be in this room. May you tune every ear and eye to what you have to say today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So good morning. Today we begin a brand new message series, Basic Training. So welcome to Spiritual Boot Camp. Today is going to be all about preparation. Each week of this series uh, is going to build on one another. And we're going to be talking about how to be prepared, what to be prepared for, and why. And the whole point of this series is to simply better prepare us. Okay, that's what the point is. We want to live in victory even when things look like defeat. And there is an invisible war going on right now all around us. Yet many people live their lives without ever really thinking about that. But whether we think about it or not, or whether we even care, it doesn't change the reality of this invisible war. And the stakes couldn't be higher. Look around at our world. There is so much corruption, perversion, materialism, self-centeredness, and outright rebellion to God in his righteousness. We just finished a series on why that is. Because there is no fear of the Lord. And as Christ followers, it's the fear of the Lord. That's what keeps us focused. That's what perfects our holiness. Now, one very critical element that seems to be missing in the American church today is any sense of urgency. 
urgency in sharing the gospel. This pains my soul to know this, but there is, seems to be no sense of urgency in actually sharing the love and truth of who God is. And there should be. The Bible talks about how there are many people, right? There are many people who are going to die, they're not going to have salvation, and they're going to spend eternity in hell. That ought to be enough urgency right there for all of us to go, send them, go speak the message, right? Anybody with me? Okay, all right. There's also no, there seems to be no sense of urgency in preparing people for persecution, which we're going to dive into in just a few minutes. Perhaps the reason is complacency. Maybe that's the reason that there's this lack of urgency in the church today. It could be complacency. We've just gotten too comfortable where we've allowed worldliness to lull us to sleep or to numb us from reality. Perhaps the reason is ignorance, where we just don't realize how serious it is or what's really at stake. Or perhaps it's just carelessness, where we have some idea, but we just don't care. We're too busy or we're too consumed with ourselves or what's going on in this physical world. But there is so much more to this life than just what's going on and what we can see physically. There is an invisible war raging right now as I speak. It's a spiritual war. And what's at stake are our very souls. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Those are your first blanks in your handout if you're taking notes. Not against flesh and blood. And then he goes on to explain who our struggle is actually with. And we're going to jump into that more and what all that means and who our enemy is next week. Next week is all about knowing your enemy. If you want to win and have victory, you've got to know your enemy. And we're going to jump into that next week. For now, I just want us to focus on the fact that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Which means the real battle isn't physical, it's spiritual. And oh, how our enemy loves to get us focused on the physical while he hides in the shadows in the spiritual. The good news about this spiritual war, though, is that ultimately we know that God's already won it. We know that, at least if we know our Bibles, which means we should be living in victory no matter what happens in this physical life. But what concerns me greatly is that persecution is coming to the American church and many people are unprepared for it. The Bible promises us persecution. It's a very unpopular promise, but it's still a promise. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Will. Not maybe. Will. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, the King James renders the words trials and sorrows as tribulation, which is another word for trouble or persecution. Both of these verses simply indicate that if you are a Jesus follower, you are guaranteed some level of persecution. Now, I know that's not a feel-good message, is it? Hi, welcome to church. You're going to be persecuted. 
But listen, it's the truth. Here in America, we really have little concept of what persecution actually means. But today, in Islamic, Hindu, and communist parts of the world, many, many followers of Jesus, at best, may lose their jobs or be rejected by their families. But at worst, it could mean they're put in prison or tortured or even killed. These kinds of things are being experienced all over the world right now by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet we here in America have no real concept of persecution. But I believe it's only a matter of time and we will. I'm not saying any of this to scare you. I'm simply saying this to prepare you. My responsibility is to prepare you for what's to come. Today's message is by no means easy for me to deliver. It's been weighing on me all week. I've struggled a great deal thinking about this. I've struggled. I've prayed. I've asked God for, for wisdom on how to do this. And I want you to know that I love each of you dearly. I really do. And it always pains me when I have to challenge the status quo. Today is one of those days. But I want you to know before we really get into this that my heart is for you. My heart is for this church. My heart is for the whole church in this entire world. My heart is for everyone to come to salvation. But as, for long, as long as I am called to preach the word of God, I will preach the word of God as faithfully as I absolutely can, even when it hurts, even when it costs me personally, even when it doesn't align with the status quo. So here goes. I believe the greatest reason on why so many of us in the American church are unprepared is because we're waiting for an escape instead of preparing for endurance. Let me say that again. Here's why we're unprepared. Because we are waiting for an escape instead of preparing for endurance. An escape that is promised by a doctrine that believes the rapture of the church occurs before the Great Tribulation. This is a doctrine that is incredibly possible or incredibly popular in the American church today. It's the belief that those who are followers of Jesus will suddenly and conveniently be whisked away before this world goes through what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. Now, for some of you, hearing anything that would challenge a teaching of pre-tribulation rapture, that may upset you. It may even offend you. Perhaps this teaching... <laughs> Perhaps this teaching is something you've had your whole life. Listen, I'm not here to offend you. I'm not here to win an argument. It's simply, I'm simply here to preach the truth of the Bible in love by preparing and equipping God's people with what they need to live in victory. Now, we're going to dive into the scriptures together. And all I ask for you to do is to listen and allow the Holy Spirit to show you the truth. That's all I ask. Don't ever take just my words. Don't ever take anyone else's words who's teaching, all right? Always, always, always make sure you search the scriptures yourself. Be a Berean. Get in there and search the scriptures yourselves. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you the truth. Always do that. Make sure there's alignment in that, okay? There's some incredibly powerful and amazing and gifted speakers out there. But if it doesn't align with the word of God, it doesn't mean anything. Because I'll tell you this, our enemy is incredibly crafty and deceitful. And he has a lot of silver-tongued people out there. So make sure you know the word of God. 
Now, whether we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, or a post-tribulation rapture, those are the three most common views, by the way, whether whichever one you subscribe to, we can still love one another. We can still be a church family together. The rapture is not an essential doctrine for salvation. It's a very important doctrine, but it is not essential for salvation. So we can still have unity, even if we disagree. Now, sadly, I've seen so much division in churches over non-essential salvation issues. These kinds of things can easily and literally tear a church family apart. Please always remember, we have an enemy who wants nothing more than to create division and stir up disunity. That's what he wants. But God desires unity. So may there always be unity in this church, even if there isn't uniformity. And there's a difference. Unity means we can align on what's critically important. We know Jesus is the Son of God. We know he came and he died on the cross for our sins. We know the only way to salvation is to put our complete faith and trust in him. It has nothing to do with our works. It's just faith in him. We know that. We can align on that, right? Some of these other tangential issues, we can have grace for one another and still be in one accord and be unity because we don't have to have uniformity. In other words, we don't have to be all stamped the same out of, right out of a manufacturer plant, right? Okay. You guys still with me? Okay. This is not easy. The biggest reason why I would challenge a pre-tribulation rapture is because it's simply not found in the Bible. Now, you can infer it from many passages in the Bible, or you can use metaphors to get to that position. For example, you could point to Noah and how he got on the ark and escaped God's judgment when everyone else was, they perished, right? You could point to Enoch and how he escaped this world by God taking him to heaven without ever dying. You could talk about Philip, right, when he was preaching to the eunuch, and after he baptized the eunuch in the water, poof, he was whisked away and gone. You can use these kinds of metaphors, because there's lots of them in the Bible. You can use that to try and justify a pre-tribulation rapture. But the bottom line is there, there's not a single verse in the Bible that affirms an escape before the tribulation. It's not there. Not one. It doesn't matter how popular this view is. It doesn't matter how many movies or books have been sold to further this position. It's simply not found in the Bible. Now, there are four verses that the Bible specifically speaks about, about the rapture. Now, there may be others that you can infer it from or that you can read into, but there are only four that explicitly refer to it. So we're going to walk through them together because I want us all to be in the Word of God together, and let's see this. The first is Matthew chapter 24. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there with me and follow along in all four of these scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to confirm or deny what I'm saying. Here we go. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Those days. What are those days referring to? Jesus tells us exactly what he's referring to eight verses before this one. And he says eight verses before this one, there'll be greater anguish than has ever happened since the world began. Greater anguish than what we saw in World War I. Greater anguish than what we saw in World War II. More than any days that have ever happened or will ever happen. You see, Jesus is referring to the Great Tribulation. 
That's what he means by those days. So immediately after those days, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the son of man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet shofar and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is exactly what Jesus taught. He didn't say before the tribulation of those days that the children of God would be pulled out of this world and escape tribulation. He didn't say that. No, he actually teaches the opposite. And if we study Matthew chapter 24, we will see that the focus is not on escaping the tribulation of those days, but it's on engaging and enduring all the way through to the end. Now, the second text concerns, that concerns the rapture is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, this is Paul speaking. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming. He didn't say comings. He said coming, singular. There's only one second coming. If you know the pre-tribulation doctrine, they talk about this coming as if it's a coming part A and then a coming part B or a coming second coming and then a third coming. There's only one, friend. There's only one coming and it's called the day of the Lord, which we're going to get into in a minute. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Now, let me pause for a minute. Let's first talk about this and understand the context. What's going on here? The Apostle Paul had told the, th the, the Thessalonians in his first letter. This is his second letter to the Thessalonians. But what he told them in his first letter is he was told them that Jesus could come back at any moment. That's what he told them. And what happened from that is it caused some people to misunderstand Paul's teaching about Jesus' return. So rather than the people keep on work working and keep on enduring, these people went idle, and they just sat around and were waiting for an escape when Jesus would return. And because of the persecution of the church that was going on, some of them thought they had missed the day of the Lord altogether as if it had already happened. And so Paul is writing this second letter to help clear up all those misunderstandings. He's writing this letter to encourage them. So when he says the coming of the Lord and, and our being gathered to him, he puts both of these as the same event. The coming, the gathering, same event. That's called the day of the Lord. There's not a second coming where Jesus comes in the clouds, never touches the earth, gathers his elect in secret, returns to heaven, and then comes back a third time, which is what the pre-tribulation doctrine teaches. No, Paul says here in verse 3, watch this, verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, that day, not multiple days, that day, meaning the day of the Lord, the day Jesus comes back, his second coming, when he comes and he gathers the children of God, that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, 
He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. So Paul makes it very clear here that there are two events that must occur before the day of the Lord. Again, remember, he's writing to dispel any worry or concern that the day of the Lord had already happened, which is why he says there are two things that must happen first. Apostasy comes first. Other translations would refer to this as a falling away or a rebellion. This means there will be many who depart from the faith. Now, what would make so many people depart from the faith? What, what would cause that? Persecution, absolutely. That could certainly be part of it. Could it be that many people who were simply waiting for the rapture become disillusioned and full of doubt about their faith because it doesn't happen at the exact time they have been taught their whole lives? Could that be? Could it be because they were deceived, they will then doubt the word of God entirely and fall away? No one knows for sure what will cause this great falling away, but we know it's coming. But there is no way in good conscience that I could stand before you and not warn you. I not warn you, the people of God, that has been entrusted to me with what the Bible says is coming. I could not do that. I have to warn you. I'm called to be like a watchman sitting on the, on the, on the wall. And I got to warn you that danger is coming. And we need to be prepared. Persecution and tribulation are coming. The real question is, will you be ready? Will you be prepared? I hope so. And that is the intent of this message series. That's the whole point we're doing this message series is to arm you and equip you to have all you need to engage and endure in this life. It's definitely not aimed at comforting you with an escape that you are or will be exempt from persecution. We don't do cozy Christianity here, so I'm not going to comfort you that way. I can't do it. I have to follow what God tells me to follow, which is the word of God. The Lord wants us all prepared, but the demonic influence in this world would rather us not be prepared and having us sitting around waiting for an escape. Just think about the deception that Satan can muster up in the church. If he can get the church focused on waiting for an escape, Instead of preparing for endurance, think about all the disillusionment, confusion, division, and offense that he could cause. Will that be part of what causes so many to fall away? I hope not, but we'll one day find out. And will you be ready? So the first thing Paul mentions that must happen before the day of the Lord, which we've already established, is the day that he comes and gathers his people is that there will be a falling away first. The second thing that must happen first is the man of lawlessness will be revealed. This is the man of sin. This is the Antichrist. He's the one that will cause great chaos on the earth. So Paul is saying the day of the Lord will not happen until after both of these things. A falling away and the Antichrist is revealed. So in other words, we need to be prepared to endure all the way through. This is exactly why Paul says in the first chapter of this same book that we're now in, 2 Thessalonians, this is where we're at, that the Lord will bring relief and rest. He's going to bring relief and rest. His word promises that. He will bring it. 
to relieve us that from suffering and persecution. The key point of this, though, is when? When is he going to bring this relief? Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, it will be when the Lord comes in flaming fire. When he comes in flaming fire. It's not going to be in a secret rapture before the tribulation. No, it will be when he comes in flaming fire, the word says, to take vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So relief, relief comes when the Lord comes back in flaming fire, which is the day of the Lord. Now, the third example concerning the rapture is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52. Paul is talking about, in this text, the resurrection of our bodies when the Lord returns. Who wants a new body? Oh, please, Lord God, I want a new body. I want one that doesn't ache, right? I want one that doesn't break down. Here's what he says. This is what Paul says. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Now, anyone who has studied biblical eschatology, that word is just a fancy word for the study of theology that pertains to the end of the world. That's all eschatology is. But anyone who has studied this knows that there's a series of trumpets, right? There's a series of trumpets. There's actually seven of them. It's in the book of Revelation. So you might be thinking, well, when is this last trumpet going to sound? You might be asking that question. When's that going to happen? I'm going to tell you it doesn't really matter because it's the last trumpet. We don't really need to know when it sounds because there's never going to be another trumpet. This is it. It's the last trumpet. It's right there. I'm not making it up. The last trumpet. And when we compare this passage to passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 24, there is a common link. The common link is that the Apostle Paul and Jesus talk about a trumpet. And it's all around this last trumpet, the great trumpet, the seventh trumpet. So here's what we know from what we've covered so far. Here's what we know. The rapture happens after the great tribulation, Matthew chapter 24. It happens after the great falling away and after the Antichrist is revealed, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we know it happens after all the other trumpets have sounded. It's at the final trumpet, the last trumpet, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And now, our fourth and final text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. This is one that if you subscribe to the pre-tribulation rapture, this is a very common passage that's used. Here's what Paul says. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, one coming. Did I turn the slide? Yeah, I guess I didn't highlight that. There's only one coming. As I said earlier, there's not plural here. There's one. 
Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. You see, it's not a secret rapture. Does that sound like a secret at all? There's a loud what? What happens? There's a loud trumpet. What else from this text? What else happens? There's a loud shout. Okay, I mean, if we, Jesus is coming back in all his glory and he has all his holy ones with him, we're not going to mistake this. No one's going to miss this. It's going to be completely obvious. You are not going to miss this. It is not a secret, friend. And that's that trumpet again. You see that? Notice how this happens. The rapture is not a secret where we just suddenly disappear. You've seen it. I'm sure you guys have seen it in the movies. You've seen it in all those books. Ah, and we just disappear right out of our clothes and we're up into the sky. I mean, I know I'm being facetious and I apologize for that, but it's like, man, this is truth. I don't want people thinking there's going to be an escape. It's not going to happen before the tribulation. That's what the Bible says. Paul says it will happen with a shout, a shout that comes from the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. This is the same trumpet Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. It's the same trumpet Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's the same trumpet as in Revelation chapter 11. Also, what's noteworthy here is that those who are dead in Christ will be resurrected first. They will receive their new bodies before those who are alive when this happens. So again, when does all this happen? After the tribulation, after the falling away, after the Antichrist is revealed, after all of the trumpets, at the last trumpet, and after the dead in Christ are resurrected first. So we've just covered four passages in the, in the Bible that explicitly talk about the rapture. Now, there are several other passages that are connected to the rapture, but these are the only ones that talk explicitly about his coming and his gathering of the saints together. So what we can conclude from this is that the pre-tribulation rapture is not in the Bible. It's not there. You can imply it. You can infer it. You can even project it into the text. That's right. You can. <laughs> and if it were to happen, no harm, no foul. Whoop, we're with him. But woe to those who are teaching this and it doesn't happen. Here's why this is so significant. Much of the church throughout the world is already living in some level of tribulation, some level of trouble or suffering. They're enduring it right now. They're not living in the great tribulation, but they're living in tribulation right now. And we in the Western church are not. Not at all. We are potentially about to be, but we're not in it right now. And that's why believers in Iran, Iraq, Syria, and much of the Middle East in the Muslim world or the Hindu world or the Buddhist world are all facing incredible challenges in tribulation right now. It's just the atmosphere they live in all day long. It's the air they breathe. And so they are prepared for future tribulation because they're living in present tribulation right now which is interesting because a pre-tribulation rapture is very convenient to the Western culture. 
but it's not convenient at all to a culture, right, who's enduring persecution right now. Now, I want to share a quote from Corey Ten Boom. Who knows who Corey Ten Boom is? A lot of you. You may recognize her name as she was very instrumental in the Holocaust. She has an absolutely incredible and amazing testimony as she lived through what could be described as the most horrific per- persecution of our time. She survived the Holocaust, and here's what she said 49 years ago in 1974. I want you to hear these words from a woman who endured incredible persecution, more than you and I could ever possibly imagine. Here's what she said. Bless you. She said, there are some among us teaching that there will be no tribulation, that the Christians will be able to escape all this. These are the false teachers that Jesus warned us to expect in the latter days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering suffering terrible persecution. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry. Before the tribulation comes, you'll be translated raptured. Then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later, I heard a bishop from China say, sadly, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. Corey Ten Boom, 1974. Now, what I want, a couple things I want to say here is, please don't walk out those doors and then start telling everybody that Ian said that everyone teaches the pre-tribulation rapture is a false, you know, whatever. Name-calling and all that doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. And I'm not saying that. This is a quote I'm reading from Corey Ten Boom. There may be people that are preaching a pre-tribulation rapture out of ignorance. It doesn't make them a false where they're trying to intentionally deceive you. They're deceived themselves. That's what it comes down to. So listen, I'm so annoyed with the Christian community that just sits here and does this. Why our enemy is over here laughing about it. Ha ha ha, I can get them to just fight one another. So there's no, there's none of this name, you know, finger point. I'm right, you're wrong. Who cares? We all serve Jesus. Why don't we keep our eyes on him? Amen? Amen? So please don't do that. <laughs> we don't, I got enough pressures on my back then to have to deal with that. <laughs> the main thing here is this whole series is intended. You know, she talks about the how down here. That's what I want to give you. How? How do you stand? How do you prepare? How do you fight? That's what we're going to talk about. It's what the church needs to hear today. Not come in and some feel-good message. Oh, yeah, I feel good, and I leave here all happy and joyful. I want you prepared. Because it's not always going to be roses. It's not always going to be happy joy. As long as you have Jesus in your heart, that's all that matters, right? That's all that matters. Now, listen, God wants us prepared. Again, this message is not meant to scare you. This message is intended to prepare you. If you study Jesus' warnings concerning the generation that would live through what leads to the Lord's second coming, you'll find that his emphasis is on preparing for engagement and endurance, not exemption and escape. Study it. You'll find that. I'm going to say this again because it's so important. If you study the red letters in your Bible, what Jesus taught, you'll find what you'll find there that is there. His message was all about engagement, even in the midst of all the trouble going on and preparing for endurance. That was his message. 
engagement in sharing the gospel, and endurance in preparing. Jesus never proclaimed an exemption from tribulation. Never. Jesus never proclaimed escape from tribulation. Never. In fact, before he left this earth, he said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we can't think we're exempt from tribulation while we sit around and wait for an escape. We all should be busy preparing for endurance right now before that great tribulation comes. Now, one last thing that I want to cover here and I want to address is God's wrath. Because many who teach a pre-tribulation rapture are quick to point out that we as believers are not subject to God's wrath. And I will be quick to say, amen. That is absolutely right. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, we as believers are not subject to God's wrath. Why is that? Because Jesus took the wrath we as believers deserve on the cross. He took it upon himself when he hung there on the cross, shed his blood for us when he died for our sins. There is no more of God's wrath for us as believers. Amen? Amen. No more. Now, how all that plays out in the great tribulation is up to God. He can supernaturally protect his saints from his wrath, just like he's done all throughout Scripture. I want you to think about this. Think about Noah, for example. Remember what happened to Noah? God put Noah and his family inside of an ark, and he protected him. He didn't take him out. He didn't take him out of the tribulation. He protected him all the way through the tribulation. Guess what that's a metaphor for? That's the same metaphor that if you and I have faith in Jesus, just like Noah was in the ark, you and I are protected and we are safe because we have the Lord God Almighty as our Savior. It's the same thing. Does that, not, does that mean we're not going to endure hardship? Of course not. Of course we'll endure hardship. But we know ultimately where our destination is going to be with Jesus if we have faith in him. It's the same thing. So who is specifically going to experience God's wrath in the Great Tribulation? This is worth answering. Now, before I move on to that, God can protect us in the Great Tribulation the same way he has protected all his saints all throughout the Word of God. Just look at it. So don't get twisted up with that whole thing because that's a common thing that pre-tribbers like to say, oh, you're not subject to God's wrath. Well, that's when I can agree with them. You're right, we're not. But that doesn't mean we're not going to go through hardship. Because you know who else is going to be putting wrath on this earth? Who's the God of this world with a little g? We're going to learn about him next week. He can inflict all kinds of mess on this earth. That doesn't mean we're not going to have to endure some of that. But we're not going to experience God's wrath like he's rained down sulfur and all that on Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not for you and I as believers. All right. So, who specifically is going to suffer God's wrath in the Great Tribulation? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 tells us precisely who's going to suffer this wrath. First, it will be when he comes in flaming fire to take vengeance on. Here it is. These are the ones that are subject to God's wrath. On those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's these people who are subject to God's wrath. Getting back to the urgency in the very beginning, that should be the urgency for you and I to share the love of Christ with these people so they don't have to endure the wrath of God. And it's precisely for these very same people that, why, that, that is why God is so long-suffering right now. 
His word says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he is not slow about his promise. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You see, that's the only way to avoid God's wrath. Repent. Turn away from evil and turn to him as your Lord and Savior. It's the only way, friend. It's the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto the Father except by me. Jesus is the one and only exclusive way to God the Father. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter what choices that you've made in your past, if you repent of your sins by turning away from them and you turn to Jesus and you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, and then you trust him and you trust him for what he did on the cross for you, you will be saved. You'll no longer be subject to God's wrath. Now, the truth is, those who are true followers of Jesus will endure all the way through. This is not an endurance based on self-will or self-effort. This is complete faith and trust in Jesus, no matter how bad things get. It's tempting to assume that enduring all the way to the end is based on you. It's not based on you. You only have one responsibility in this equation at all. Remain in Jesus. Study John chapter 15. It's all about remaining or abiding in Jesus. I've said this so many times. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. You see, when you endure, you simply prove that you are his. You prove it. It's no different than what we said about works, what we've said about works since the beginning of this church. We cannot earn our way to heaven. Our works or our obedience, they simply prove that our faith is genuine. And endurance is the same way. When we endure, it proves we are his. Now, don't be unprepared for the day of the Lord. Don't be waiting for an escape instead of preparing for endurance. That is the message today in one sentence. Now, the rest of the basic training message series that we're going to go through is all going to be focused on how do we endure? How do we prepare for this endurance? Today was all about preparation. It was all about setting the stage on why we must be prepared. It's because there is a spiritual war raging right now. And I want all of us to be fighting as men and women of God. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of seeing Christian casualties. I am sick and tired of seeing evil advance its agenda. I'm sick and tired of seeing the lost be lost. I'm sick and tired of seeing hope dwindle. I'm sick and tired of seeing people oppressed by evil. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's time to walk in victory, children of God. Because our Father in heaven is the Lord of heaven's armies. And he wants you prepared to do battle. To do battle his way. And we're going to start talking about that next week. How do we do that? So I want to encourage you to come back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth that you have so clearly put there for us to read. And we know, Lord, that our job here on this earth is to abide in you. To abide in you to live in you, to remain in you. And this enemy wants to knock us off of that. 
doing everything he can to distract us and discourage us and put all kinds of stuff. And we know that as we get closer to the end, there'll be more and more deception. Lord God, would you give us minds that we can see right through that because we have the mind of Christ. Help us, Lord, to don the helmet of salvation so that we can see these things, that our mind would be protected. We know the battle is in our mind. And so, Lord God, I just ask for your favor in protecting us as children of God to do what we're called to do, to not sit around and wait, but to sit around. We're not to sit around at all. We're to be engaging. We're to be preaching the word of God. We're to be sharing the gospel, Lord. We're to be preparing for endurance. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would wake us up. Wake the church up, Lord. We've got a message to give, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that there'll be ears to hear it. May we see as many people as possible to be snatched from the fires of hell. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you have done, for the truth you've given us, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you're here and you need prayer and there's something on your mind or you're... um, concerned about what you heard today or you're struggling with something i want to encourage you to come forward i'll be here to pray with you i'll be here to talk to you but god bless you and thank you for being here for the first day of boot camp we'll see you next week